everybody. Andrew here from uh, Inside AV, back for uh, a second podcast. Yeah, hi, listeners. you got Keith as well here in the same room. Really? Yep. Um, got a website, Keith. Oh, yeah, we have. We've kicked mm. that off. Do you have an address for this yeah, website? www.inside-av.com. Mm. I can't believe we scored that one. I can't believe we got that, actually. That's... um. Someone's uh, one of those, you know, those mob that um, go around registering domain names and then attempting to sell them to you for $1,000 uh, has failed to register that one, possibly because they intelligently choose not to use hyphens in their uh, domain yeah, name. Yeah, I suppose that is a downside, but it looks good. It's, it looks, looks, it's look, looks right. It looks stupid without the hyphen. It looks like Inside Deve or something <laughs> like that, which <laughs> is a different kind of website. website altogether. Um, uh, we're on iTunes. Our podcast has made it to the big time. It has been approved by iTunes. I don't know how. Obviously, they didn't listen to no, it. No, they probably didn't listen. No, but that's understandable since they have 12,000 new podcasts being uploaded every day or something like that. Um, so, yeah, you can do a search for Inside AV. You don't have to put the hyphen in then on, uh, on, on your iTunes store and magically will pop up and you can uh, subscribe of course so if you're listening to this you may have already done that um yeah moving right along um uh, we've got uh the final two quick segments of the cambridge dac review the cambridge uh, dac magic plus coming up at the end of this episode and just as a bit of a preemptive um uh, marketing move for episode number three, we're going to compare the DAC Magic Plus features and performance and build quality-wise with the Riga... The Riga Black Box. The Riga Black Box. The Riga Shoe Box. Does it have a model? Yeah, it's called the Riga DAC. It, oh. So presumably when they make a second DAC, they'll call it the Riga... DAC 2. Yeah. Yep. Really? Is that they don't That's have a model it. number? Yeah, it seems a little like future planning seems to have been ignored to some degree there. But um, okay, hey, it's that good. They probably don't need to ever build a second one. Oh, sorry, that's being yeah. preemptive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, have, I have heard it. Uh, you know, I actually, um, I still haven't heard because we're doing the listening session for the DAC Magic Plus soon. We may do it today. Yeah. Um, once we work out how to put it back together, having pulled all the screws out of it and taken it apart. Um, I, I still don't know, really, which one's the, the better. And, uh, of course, one could assume that sound quality-wise, the Riga might well be more interesting because it's got less features and a higher price point. But, hey, it's almost well, England versus China with that because, of course, the Riga's made in England, the DAC Magic Plus is made in China. One hopes that that might cause a lower... Uh, you know, manufactured cost to occur, therefore can be sold at a lower price point. And, and what is the price difference between the two? One's $10,000, one's $3. It's not that extreme, is it? No, it's not extreme at all. Eight ninety nine and six ninety nine. Okay. Hmm. Well, it would be interesting to see what they, they do, or not see, or listen yeah, to them. We'll listen to it. Well, that's, that's coming up. So, for today... Other than those two, uh, two uh, segments at the end of the show with the uh, wrapping up the uh, appreciation of the... and some of the finer features of the DAC Magic Plus, we've got um, just a couple of things I want to talk about. There's one thing you mentioned before about uh, iPhones and um, iPads. 
camera wise. Oh yeah, yeah. Our little trade secret. Well, trade secret. We actually talked about it, I think, in another episode, which uh, we uh, maybe we did. haven't we used. Did. Yeah, we did. Um, yeah, the ability for CCD cameras to see infrared, mm. and um, of course, most mobile phones or mobile devices have a little CCD camera in them, mm. and the new yes, iPhone 4S. Now, with its U-Butte lens, they must also have an infrared filter in, built into it because that feed, well, that little trade seeker that we used to use for testing remote controls just doesn't work anymore. And that trade secret, which was probably not so much a trade secret as a... Um, just a helpful hint. Yeah, it, it's something a lot of people realise, probably perhaps by accident, but uh, if your remote's not working and you're not sure whether it's the remote or the receiver or CD player or DVR or whatever you're, um, you know, whatever you're um, pointing it at, yep. TV, you could point it at your camera and in the viewfinder or on the display screen see light, literally the lead in the end of the remote flashing on and off when you pressed a button. What you're saying is on the iPhone yeah, I- S or on the iPhone, iPhone 4 as well? You're not sure? Uh not sure, iPhone 4S. I would say it's the iPhone 4S because they did an upgrade on the camera in it. Okay. So, um, we know the iPad 2 doesn't do it either. Yeah. So, so the point is you point your remote at the camera lens on the iPhone 4S or the iPad 2, you will not see a flashing LED. So don't assume your remote's dead, folks. No. Use your other camera or an older iPhone. Yeah, it worked on the 3 or bring it to a technician, have yeah, them check have it. Have it tested. I mean, we'd be only too happy to book that in and check it carefully for you for a small fee. Um, yeah, I, I think we covered that. It's yeah. weird. I've, I've not struck other cameras do it, and I've, I've you know, yeah, so that maybe that's maybe well, an improvement there, there goes my, in certain um, situations. My hope for that, the ultimate app, the one that could see... Invisible light, like infrared. And we're hoping someone would make a, an application for that. But oh, that so, would see through clothes. <laughs> no, not quite. One that could see all the spurious light and information that was floating around in front of you. Is there an app for seeing through clothes? <laughs> no. The, oh, there's an X-ray app. How does that work? Well, a bit of trickery, I think it's not. Yeah, okay. It's not real. It's not real. Damn no, it! It's like that. those X-ray glasses I bought when I was a kitty. Yeah, not real. They're expensive too. They were three dollars or something. Um, uh, the I one of my little pet peeves in the world of audio video is where a stuff made. I've decided to and matter and whether it matters, and I'm not sure whether it does. In many cases it doesn't, but in some cases I find it weird that brands really talk about their heritage of being from a particular country and you find that the product is designed by a Chinese fellow uh, developed in China, manufactured in China, shipped from China, 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 sometimes South Korea. So... I thought I might send some emails out to some well-known brands and ask them for a factory tour. Oh, factory tour. I thought that might stump them. Because companies that I've visited previously and done factory tours, of course, have factories, and therefore they can do a factory tour. <laughs> Helps, doesn't it? <laughs> but if you want to do a factory tour at... Um, no, I'm not going to mention brands at this stage. I was going to say one, but 
I just thought I might send out some emails. So in a future episode. Okay. And see what sort of... See what response we get. Because I'm going to embark on a world tour for my retirement. Yes. And making it possible for me to visit factories all around the world. Of course, this is a fake tour and a fake retirement. But it it gives them... um, I'll I'll probably use a fake name. (laughs) The joy of email. Anonymous... Price hassles, anonymous factory tour requests, anonymous stupid questions about smoke coming out the back of equipment is all possible on the email. I'm going to um, I'm going to uh, send these emails out soon, and then uh, in a, perhaps episode three or four, more likely four, give them a week or two to respond give, because give some, some corporations time. are very slow. And that's the other thing is interesting to see. How quickly people reply, anyhow. Or who bothers to respond. I reckon, well, you know, this is an aside and just talking trivia for a second, but you know when you say need your house painted, right? Yes. So you you, you write one email, you send it to four or five painters. Statistically, people I've spoken to have done this. All painters, plumbers, electricians, bloody... You might want to buy a new car and you send out a request to eight car dealers. On average, 80% of them will not reply within a week. You will get... If you send out eight requests, you get two back in, say, one in one pretty quick. One might even have an automated response. And then follow that up. Well, I've just uh, yawned, by the way. I'm boring myself. If you're wondering what that weird pause was. Oh, and I just smacked, smacked the microphone. Damn it. Anyhow, the... the uh, you get You get very little response. Initially, even from the, the the sites that have bothered to put a inquiry form on it, um, the, I'm talking about people who. No, I'm talking about yeah, that too actually. But I'm primarily speaking of tradesmen or retail stores who talk about their website, and on their website is a feedback form or a, an email address, a and you form. and you yeah, and you ask the question, and then you don't get a response. So it's an no response form. It's a negative feedback form. <laughs> or an irresponsible Champagne form. Champagne comedy there. Um, how much negative... Yes. Well, negative feedback in the sense of not a negative feedback loop and not and not negative feedback as in a, a summation of your poor performance, but in fact, nil response. Now, okay. we're, now we're just talking shit. Let's... let's um, so anyhow, that's that's something I... But it'll be an interesting experiment to see what you do get back. I think it will be. Well, so we'll talk about that soon. And um, have you got a favourite brand, by the way? Uh, well, one brand that comes to mind, and, and I don't know why it's favourite, well, I do know why it's favourite, um, is Yamaha. What the fuck? <laughs> and on that bombshell... We'll go to a break. Okay. And we're back. Thank you. Yamaha? Yamaha. What's wrong with Yamaha? No, I, I'd like Yamaha. I think the R6 um, is, um, is... Oh, no, is sorry. I meant AV Yamaha. I didn't... You know when you go Yamaha, they got two websites? One says yeah, yeah, yeah. audio video, one says motorsport or something. Yamaha Audio Video? Yeah. What, like? Or Yamaha Electronics, not... I've not heard of that. Yamaha. 
The Tuning Fork people. Yeah, yeah, that's where they got their logo from. Oh, Yamaha. Now I'm just being a cock. But anyhow, uh, you know, actually, I'd have to agree with you. Yamaha's a great brand. But what do you like about it? Uh, well, it's an easy sell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, look, you know what I like about... Well, I'll, I'll talk about AV receivers. Yes. Um, the Yamaha range, there is... There's a broad spectrum from, you know, below the $500 mark mm. to, I think it goes up only up to about two and a half. For the they don't have a flagship? Absolute flagship $5,000 jobby anymore? No. Um, no. no? no um, I'd have to check, but... Point is, you don't sell it, otherwise you, you don't know sell about it. it. Yeah, I don't sell it. Well, actually, the point is, there's probably no reason to go to the flagship because all the features and the benefits are in... The two thousand dollar model. I tell you what, I always found with Yamaha though is that their absolute flagship model, their five thousand dollar one, always had a particularly cultured sound, which the two thousand dollar, circa two thousand dollar ones, just didn't have. I felt there was quite a significant difference, difference. and they really pulled out all stops. Um, from a technician's point of view, Yamaha is extremely well engineered. They are very reliable. But on the downside, they, if you live near the coast, are very susceptible to damage from corrosion. Um, that's the oh, downside. saltwater corrosion. Yep. They <laughs> so are. I've taken off a TV ad. The one that I'm not familiar with. I oh, haven't you heard that one? It must be on a commercial channel. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to grab a little mouthful Well, the of other benefit with Yamaha is um, you can... Pull it out of the box, plug everything in. That's damn good coffee. And it all works. Yeah, it does. You don't have to start assigning this to that and signing the inputs and outputs. You don't? No, away you go. Oh, because it's got... Yeah, you're right. It's got... Rather than it's got AV1, 2, 3, 4, 5, it's got names on it, so it Well, yeah, in. it has names on it, but n- not even that. Since when does assigning take very long, though? Oh, try a Marantz. Oh, look, now there's... you got... Marantz. AV receivers? Yeah. They what can... a load of bollocks. They sound good, but they do take a bit of setting up. They used to sound good. I'm not, not, not so sure about the new ones. No, I haven't seen a new one for a little while the now. The new ones? Gee whiz. I, I had one come in. And he was complaining about a functionality problem, and I listened to it and suggested there was something wrong with the sound as well. Oh, okay. An extra he fault. said, no, 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 the sound's fine. I said, no, no, no. The sound is crap because some of the best sounding AV receivers of the early 2000s were SR6200, yes, 6300, 6400. They were magnificent sounding AV receivers, really sweet and clean and pretty controlled in the bass. And but anyhow, those they're gone, and uh, the new ones I don't think are that flash. I'm not even convinced about Yamaha's being that good, actually, but you are, so I'll let you off on that. But we'll know Tegra would make the best receivers, so... uh, (laughs) Well, we'll list when they work. What about reliability, then? (laughs) Yeah, well, we won't go there since uh, people may work out what shops we work at and what products we sell, Visiontronics, AudioFix. But, yeah, Integra had a bit of a dodgy run there for me uh, last year, but uh, they know that, and uh, they know that if they want me to stop talking about it on this podcast, 
They will <laughs> give me more recompense than they did. But anyhow... They don't care. No, they don't care. Although I have to say, Graham at Amber, extremely good bloke. Really looked after us very well, actually, in the end, sort of. Um, yeah, and enough said on that. Okay. On Yamaha backup service, I have to say, spare parts, fantastic. In fact, that brings me to my most hated brand on the planet, Sony, who have nil intelligent backup service of any kind. It's like dealing with a government department. They don't do anything with parts. It's everywhere. It's a subject out everyone else. They're hugely expensive. You would never fix the product because the parts are too dear. Yamaha is the exact opposite. You can buy a gear for a CD mechanism for, well, by the time you get it mailed and everything else, and I put my 3,000% margin on it, etc. but the point is it ends up being 20 bucks. But the fact that you can buy it and buy a gear for 15 or 20 bucks landed in your store, in, you know, most of that's post, of course, yep. instead of... Throwing the, a perfectly good mech away and putting a new one in, which is of lower quality because you've got, even though the original one might be out of 10 years old, this little plastic gear's cracked. The fact that you can buy that gear rather than buy the whole assembly is is unheard of. Yamaha do that. I like it. Yeah, it's good. They lose money, I would say, on every spare part sale. I got some parts the other day. I got a whole bunch of gears. I got a bunch of um, other pissy little parts. Oh, sockets for a little mixer. You know, they're pro uh, sliders for mixers. Yes. You know, cost n- almost nothing, um, and they've got it all in stock in Melbourne. You know, and 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 um, Brian there, uh, very helpful. Y- Yamaha spare parts guy. Yeah. Oh, there's other guys there as well, but he's the guy I send the emails to, and he gives extremely rapid responses to price and availability. If they have to get something out of Asia, it takes two to three to four weeks, which is pretty quick for a Jap company. But a lot of it is in stock. Well, see, I've picked a good brand. Yamaha is a good brand, always has been a good brand. Um, in fact, if they have lost the way a bit, they've lost it with the motorbikes, I think. But that's a whole other subject. <laughs> um, <coughs> I don't know. They, they've, they've, um... they've what? The R1 is the worst of the superbikes at the moment. It's the least comfortable and... Um, the most ordinary handling. I've been yeah, but told. they sell a bucket load of them. I don't know. Then they're the dearest. Now, nah, Fireblade's much better. So is the G6R. So okay. is the ZX10. So is the Aprilia, the Ducati, the KTM, and every other superbike. Super <laughs> it's the worst. Didn't used to be, of course. It looks the best. Flavor it looks good. It does look good. That white one with the gold wheels, I think it's got now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With just a flash of red on it. Yeah. No, there's no red. Oh, is there a flash of red on it? Just a flash. You get me confused now. Yeah, moving back to Hi-Fi. Uh, yeah, favourite brand. Well, look, I don't think I have a favourite brand, but there are brands that do the right thing, and Yamaha is one of those. Uh, I'd also say that uh, NAD uh, try really hard with spare parts. Um, some would say they need to, um, but that would be that would be unkind. Um, yeah, look, there's lot, I tell you what I've noticed. Pioneer try hard. A lot of the companies, the original specialist Jap brands, have gone through a phase of not giving a toss about the customer, and then some of them have come back and decided that is, in fact, how to keep business. And Yamaha and Pioneer are two of those companies who have really uh, picked their act up in spares and are pretty good in service as well, as I understand it, although I don't use them very often for service since we obviously fix the things ourselves. But... um, 
I should say I'm not a warranty agent for either of those brands as well. So that's a bit bizarre that I'm a warranty agent for other brands and I'm not singing their praises. But I will because Denon and Nad from Audio Products Group actually do an extremely good job of backup service and spares and have tons of things in stock as well. They're just not as amazing as Yamaha. And the amazing part with Yamaha is, is that they obviously lose money doing it. Whereas, And that's possibly because it's a subsidiary of Japan, whereas Audio Product is, uh, Products Group has to make a product... Uh, Profit to make a profit on spares, and therefore they are charged at a more sensible price, but still very good value and still worth fixing the product in many cases. So they do a great job. Um, If you really want to have a crack at a large corporation that does an ordinary job of um, of AV receivers, Sony, of course, at the top of the tree, and uh, yeah, probably. I wouldn't say Marantz because really they try pretty hard there, but they just are clueless in some ways. And um, who's hopeless? I don't know. What's the other brand? Oh, well, who's hopeless? I just realised. Harman Kardon. Oh, no. Joke. Absolute fucking joke. And moving right along. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows they're a joke, so we don't, need to, we don't need to. And, of course, how do you even use the receivers? In fact, I had a lid off one the other day that was only a couple of years old, and uh, I have never seen such shit in my life. What a piece of junk. We're going to get sued. Um, now, uh, there's someone listening to this right now who's a sales manager for Harman Kardon going, yeah, you bet your ass, Sonny, we're going to sue you. <laughs> I wonder what the chance, I wonder whether you can get sued for telling the truth. You can't, can you? No. Because this, no. this insides of this receiver were just an insult to... Um, audio engineering so what I mean I haven't pulled apart a machine for ages because I'm not in that repair game anymore what what point did Harman Kardon turn from being a product of some substance to oh some 10 years before AV receivers were thought of I would have thought yeah yeah I don't want to talk about it I have sold some HK over the years back in the late 90s and it was actually not too bad uh and the ones that I've sold kept going for a long time. I would say Harman Kardon hit the wall early 2000s. I think the wheels fell off. So 10 years they've been making products that I find incredibly hard to use, frustrating to use, and don't sound much chop at all, and are not terribly well constructed inside. And are we people out there right now going, you're insane, that I have a HK and it's amazing? I would say... Go and try something that's actually good. Go and try a Denon or a Yamaha or Integra. Go and an Onkyo, which yeah. of course is an Integra. <laughs> really, it's not. And there, there's the trade secret of the day. Everyone thinks that Integra and, and Onkyo are the same, but it's they just aren't. You take the lid off them side by side of what looks like a similar model, and they are completely different. True. Almost completely different. There are very little parts that are common. Integra, indeed, is the real Lexus product of the Onkyo range, and... Um, the same way as there's very little parallel, very uh, is parallel the word, very little um, commonality between Lexus and Toyota models. That's certainly the case with Onkyo and Integra. Integra. Um, speaking of trade secrets and AV receivers, um, protect mode on an AV receiver. What are you going to do about that, Keith? Well, there's a few things you can check. Um, the easiest one to check, if you're, um, well, normally it comes up on the display, doesn't it? it says on. Hmm. I'm just shut down. I'm shut down for something. Um, You probably correct me, but 
I normally disconnect speaker at a time just to see. Yeah. Um, I disconnect the speaker at the AV end, not the speaker end, just in case yeah, you yeah. short the wire together and then, yeah. you, then you've got a real reason for it to be in protect. Um, but generally, it's a speaker that's causing it. Well, that's what primarily the protect circuit... The protect circuit there is quite a... There's a lot of complexity in protect circuits in AV receivers. There's a lot of different voltage rails and things that they check and overcurrent situations, but... Um, Number one overcurrent situation is simply the speaker itself or a speaker cable or the speaker leads even at the back of the receiver are simply shorted to each other uh, or possibly shorted to the chassis. And that comes from having too long a bare wires and things like that and not being careful with making sure little hairs of wires aren't shorting to the chassis or to each other, etc. And, and the protect circuit will enact to hopefully protect the output stage from blowing up and causing... Uh, three to five hundred dollar repair to occur so uh yeah I, I agree with you disconnect speakers i would i would turn the amp off at the wall and have a look at the back of the receiver and see amp receiver whatever you want to call it it could be an amp there's another thing that i get hit with all the time and i'll just cover it now yeah amp, amp is an amp a tuner is a tuner an amp and a tuner in the one box is a receiver you knew that i know that oh uh, yeah some people should know it and don't so a tuner with no amplifier is a tuner Yes. A tuner with an amplifier is a receiver. An amplifier with a tuner in it is a receiver. Yes. It's just words. It doesn't mean anything. But that's where it's an American thing. Americans always had receivers. We mostly had amps. Hence, that's why we call amps and receivers, amps and receivers, and sometimes in reverse. Yeah, you've confused me. <laughs> well, sometimes I call a receiver and an amp an amp because it does amplify. True. Yes. But it's really a receiver. In this case, so your receiver is going into protect mode. You turn it off at the wall, pull it out of the cabinet, turn it around, and you may even so often you'll pull it out and the speaker cable that's giving you the trouble just simply has already fallen out of the back when you go to pull the thing out of the yeah. rack. Yeah, So check all your speaker wiring at the back of the receiver because it's all jammed into a cupboard sometimes. You know, it either gets squashed up and mangled against something or um, because you've not screwed it down tightly and neatly enough in the first place. So pay particular attention to that. And, of course, pay particular attention to polarity while you're at it. You want all your speakers to be playing in phase. Makes a big difference. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a, it is a necessity. Mm. This dead air, by the way, is all because I'm still drinking my cup of coffee. Now, uh, so you've uh, pulled all the speaker wires out. Yeah, actually, one thing you should clarify too, when it's in protect mode, sometimes powering down, you need to wait probably 30 seconds a minute to power it back up because it'll be stuck in protect mode until it right. de-energises all the circuits. And Yeah, what hap what's happening there is that you've got um, some power supply rails have quite a lot of storage capacity and, and will take a good, probably no longer than 10 or 20 seconds to fade completely down to zero volts, but uh, that's the reason for leaving it off more than just a five-second reset. And we're talking about plugging it, unplugging it from the wall and plugging it back in or using the main power switch in the case of your favourite brand, Yamaha. Um, and I don't know if I'm happy with disconnecting speakers in turn. You you're, you potentially have a short on the output stage of the amplifier. It might be best to disconnect all the speakers. If you turn it around and you cannot see uh, any problem, yeah. 
disconnect all the speakers. Leave all the AV connections, the HDMI, the digital ins, the analog ins, the this and the that, the component connections, whatever. All your signal leads, your low-level, you know, low-current-type connections, in other words, everything other than the speakers, including the antenna cable potentially, Leave all of those plugged in, unplug all of the speakers, turn the amp back on. But when you turn it, you can just turn it back on. If it's still in protect mode, don't panic. Do what Keith says, unplug it from the wall, leave it unplugged for a minute, plug it back in. If it's still in protect mode, crap no. pants. <laughs> no. Pack in car, bring to audio fix. Audio fix. Yeah, no, it's... Or your local audio repair person of quality. Yeah. Have a look at yeah, because um, it's probably buggered. It's gone too far. Now, if on the other hand, it uh, fires up, then you need to work out what the problem is because you've just fixed it in one you know, in one sense. It's obviously your speakers that are the problem. So um, start yeah. measuring, start looking. The classic one I've seen it many times is twofold. One is people try to do the right thing and they tin their speaker cable leads. Uh, rather than put a banana plug or a spade connector on or leave it, it's just twisted yeah. up bare wire. Yeah. They do, they've got a soldering iron. They used to build a few Dick Smith kits. They go, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tin my speaker cable leads. Tin them in the sense with solder. Solder, Not yes. tin them as in put them in a tin. And they plug, put them in the binding post, they screw it up, and the binding post comes loose. And it comes loose because you've got very little surface area to tighten to it up against. Bite into, yes. Yeah. So it doesn't stay jammed for very long. The constant vibration of the speaker eventually undoes the binding post and the speaker wire falls out. And, of course, where does it fall? It falls to onto, the other, yes, <laughs> onto the other connection, thereby shorting the output stage in that particular channel of the receiver. Or the cleaning lady... Um, Vacuums behind the speaker. That'd be the, the, cable the good cleaning lady that actually gets behind stuff. It's just gonna, I was just as I was just saying that. Hence the pause was like the cleaning ladies never get behind anything <laughs> or move anything. In fact, no, I was going to say something about the guy that occasionally cleans my place because I'm so busy podcasting. I don't have time to clean my own house. But he um, does an extremely good job. But he has one failing, and if he's listening, you know what that is. Thing of a bob, I can't even remember your name. What a prick I am. He's a good bloke too. Um, oh my god. He doesn't lift things? Doesn't lift the mat. There's a mat in the lounge room and you could see the last six months where the crap has just been swept under the literally swept under the rug. It's been what is the, that about? Well he's been to school of cleaning, hasn't he? I mean it is unbelievable. And they're all the same. I've had as you would have had, customers over the years complain, Oh, I've just had the cleaning lady here today. God, she's bloody hopeless. Have a look at this, you know. <laughs> like, or you go to move the the uh, the AV rack, and the AV rack has not been moved in three years, not and there is an inch thick of shite behind there. Anyhow, now we're just rambling, but um, yeah, the speaker leads get knocked out at the speaker end. So you're saying don't tin the wires? Don't tin the wires. Leave them bare wire when you yep. screw them down under the binding. Only post. bare the required length. Don't bare excessively. Exactly. You, you bear sort of 10 to 12 mil is ample, and that applies to both ends. Or banana plugs, if the amp will take it. If, yep, banana plugs if you're feeling rich, why not? Actually, that's a good... Um, I use this as a, as a... Not a golden rule, but a rule when mm-hmm. you're purchasing an amplifier. 
if it doesn't have the ability to take banana plugs, it's no good. Yeah, buy another one, buy yeah. something else. It's a good. Um, it's an absolute good rule of thumb because um, uh, nothing is worse than crappy little spring-loaded terminal connections, yeah. and the reason why is You've not got because it. they're spring-loaded, although that is crap in itself. But you can't get a decent-sized piece of wire in there. No. So you really bought yourself a what I call a bedroom system. <laughs> it's, it's unkind. It's got little spring-loaded clips. Yeah. If you want an amplifier, you need banana plug connections. Well, binding post slash um, banana plugs. Yeah. Some binding posts, of course, won't take bananas. Yeah. I suppose there is a few out there. Yep. Um, but yeah, you as long as you've got that solid connection, you, you're going to get hopefully the maximum performance out of your mm. amplifier to your speaker. There are people out there right now going, "What the hell is a banana plug?" Well, it's sort of yellow and bendy. It's got a skin that you can no, peel mine's off. Mine's usually red or black. <laughs> I don't, I'm not interested in the state of your banana, Keith. I, um, that is just wrong. <laughs> How dare you mention that? Uh, yeah. Oh, red banana or black plug. sheath type. Yeah, they're coated red and black, positive, uh, negative. Yeah, with a gold end. Yeah. So your banana has a gold end? <laughs> My banana plugs do, yeah. I was in the banana shop the other day, and all those bananas were quite goldy, sort of yellow coloured. But they had the red tip ones. They dip yeah, in the wax. Yeah, I don't like those ones. Um, I like ladies' fingers. Um, I think we might have a break. Yeah, we better have a break. And uh, we'll be back with uh, some useful information related to... Uh, I have no idea. Let me check my little notes here. We have got some very interesting information regarding digital iPod docks. Back soon. See ya. Okay, that was a quick break and we're back again. Yes, we are. Um, I, I mentioned that we'd talk about iPod docks, but the digital variety. As in the digital output. Yeah, there's a couple of iPod docks out there, and um, I look. Well, there's a charging dock. That's not going to do much, is it? For well, yeah. Let me clarify. There's two kinds of iPod dock, really. Oh, well, let's, there's three kinds because a lot of people think that when I talk to them about an iPod dock, they think I'm talking about something with speakers and, amplif- and an amplifier in it, and I'm not. I'm talking oh. about a thing that plugs into an existing stereo, and some people don't even know they exist because you go into JB or other. Well, yeah, they, the reason they don't think they exist is they're pretty hard to find. Except you know, in my shop where I have five different versions of yeah. the same thing. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I did a search online. I didn't even know you sold docks until I bought that one mm. a while ago. But um, I did a search, and Dick Smith was probably the only person that had a a dock okay. that had an output on it that you could plug into an external or into a amplifier of some sort. But yeah, all the other iPod docky devices mm. Mm. are really clock radios. Yeah, exactly. That you can plug your dock into. Yeah, or multimedia speakers effectively, but yeah. joined together in the same little podule with a with a 30-pin connector on it. That's it, podule. Um, I... Mac have one. It's about sixty bucks. 
But all it's got on it is um, USB. Um, so Mac. Should... What? Which Mac are we talking about? As in the Apple Mac, Apple not Mac. Macintosh. Okay. Yeah, not Apple Mac, as in not Macintosh Bell, yep. the amplifier company, but um, or Mac trucks. Or... Yeah. Oh, very good. Yeah. Okay. So you pay me back for the Yamaha thing. Yeah. Radio. Though I reckon. Yes. You should find this one out too. I reckon the Mac truck, you know, because the cars now come with iPod connectivity. Yes. I wonder if your Mac truck comes with iPod connectivity. Oh, it would. That'd be a feature. It would It would come with both audio and video iPod okay. connectivity so you could sit in the sleeper and watch movies. Okay. Of a particular kind. Um, so, uh, digital iPod docks, big... So... Yeah, well, let's, re- let's recap because we do cross over and disappear and come back again. You said three. I said a charging dock. Yep. So charging dock, that's all it does. Oh, is that right? You can't get any audio out of it. Well, there's the docks. Yeah, there's ones that just charge. Really? Is that what the Macintosh, Apple Mac one does for $60 with the USB connector? It just charges. Surely it feeds... Oh, God, see, that's the weird thing for it to... For it to feed audio out, it would have to be feeding digital audio out. Yes. Because the only connection is USB. I'm confused. Let's forget that product exists because I don't think you can do anything with it. It no. doesn't do anything you would want it to do outside of your computer anyhow. No. If you want to use your iPod with your stereo, option one is buy a $7 lead that goes from a 3.5mm stereo plug to two RCAs and plug it into any analogue amplifier and get your music out of your headphone socket of your iPod into your amp. That's option one. Yep. Problem with that is, you're having a party, iPod goes flat. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. So you need it on the charger. Yep. So you've got two things you've got plugged into your iPod. Third problem is you've got to keep going to your iPod to change tracks or change, if there's a track you don't like, how do you get rid of it? You have to muck, pick your iPod up, up and muck and around with it. Then the lead falls out and crackles and blows your speakers up. Okay. In a worst-case scenario. Yeah, yeah. So a dock is a much better thing. People should realise you can buy a little thing for under $100 from various manufacturers, Cambridge Audio included, uh, that ha- that has a wall-wart-type power supply that powers it, so in turn it charges the iPod. The iPod just drops into the dock, into the cradle, onto the 30-pin connector that goes up its bottom. No need for an earphone connection. And it comes with a remote control. Yeah, so you don't have to touch mm. the iPod once it's docked. And that iPod dock has a recommended retail price of $149. Audio Which fix special, dogs? 99 bucks. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I for 99 I mean, 149 is a good price too, but 99 is way better. I don't make any money at that, but um, we sell a gazillion of those. That's my most popular product. So $99 you buy Cambridge Audio iPod dock with a power supply. You drop your iPod in it, you can control it with the remote, and it charges it, and it gives you a good analogue sound. And I think it buffers the sound, because no one's complained about the level being low. Oh, OK. Other As docks, the level's it, low. It's a buffered output. It seems to be. I must. We, we must do a test on that. And check it. I've never had a customer complain with it playing at a lower level than, say, their CD player or tuner or TV sound or whatever else they've got fed into their amplifier. Whereas and other the, pods iPod docks I have sold over the years just as one-offs. Everyone's, or I've found a couple that I've installed where the level's surprisingly low. 
and it's not that the iPod's turned down, which of course would cause that problem as well. Now, step further, and yeah. we're just just to clarify, folks, we're not talking about things with speakers in them. You're plugging these into your existing stereo systems to get you know advantage of your better amplifier and your good speakers that you're using to say play CDs or something through. Going to the next level is a digital dock. That gets the digital data stream out of the bum of the iPod. Okay. Which you can put straight into your AU receiver? Yes. Or your DAC Magic. Or your DAC Magic. That's right. Or your Riga DAC or your Name DAC or your... Are there any other DACs in the world? Yeah, only about another 200 different ones. Um, Your DAC of choice. Um, The advantage is you're getting an uncorrupted digital stream from the iPod instead of the rather poorly converted digital analogue converter, converted stream that's coming out of the iPod headphone socket or 30-pin connector. So to clarify, the analogue stream out of the iPod is mediocre in quality and sounds much like an iPod does, whereas if you get the digital stream out, you are getting, depending on the quality of your files that are on the iPod, you're getting CD-quality sound. Which is the if way to go. lossless files. Absolutely. That's the way to go. Um, the dock you mentioned, is it um, coaxial out or optical out? Both. It's got both. It's got AES uh, XLR out as well. Okay. You could take it to your recording studio and plug it into pro equipment. They probably run a recording studio on iPod by now, don't they? A radio station? Just run on iPods? Couldn't you? <laughs> you could. Yeah, just about. Uh, yeah, it's got three forms of digital out. It's got uh, component uh, S-video and composite video out as well. Okay. Well, Straight into your TV. Sorry, straight to your TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, back to the optical and the coaxial sure. output, because I did mention that in the last podcast, that which one is better, and you said, don't go there, that's hello ground. So I thought I would go there. Oh, God. And um, I did a little... Mm. Bit of research and it, mm, it, I got a it blows your mind, yes, and gives you a headache. I got a headache. So I'm going to give my my reason for which which is better or which one's not oh better, and whatever. <laughs> is that ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Ready, okay. Um, and I'm I've done it again because I've I've thought about it too much and I've come <laughs> back on around around circles again. But bottom line is. They're both good. Mm. Bottom line, they both... I don't think you could hear the difference between the two. Mm. I don't care who you are. Mm. Um, the the information I read about it, about poor connection for the optical yes. compared to a RCA connection, well, I've never seen an optical cable fall out of the back of a unit yet. Um, Was there an argument against... Yeah. link because it wasn't a secure connection oh my god you know i have seen them fall out i've seen them fall apart as well oh i've seen them fall apart but that's because they're broken it's not but be- can i just say i've done this and i'm sure you've done the same i've had two optical leads one in the player one in the amplifier and i've held them together just held the bits two bits of <laughs> optical fiber to join them to yeah. join them and taped them up with insulation tape. And it worked. I don't know when I did this. I mean, I, I was really caught short on a job somewhere. <laughs> and it worked fine. Quality installation. Oh, yeah. Well, I came back later. <laughs> oh, okay. Bullshit. <laughs> I can't remember whether I did or I didn't. But, no, I do carry joiners around because, I mean, you know, and I do use joiners, and I've got joiners out in the field everywhere. 
Because sometimes you need a long run. Yep. Well, that that's where I'm going to shoot myself in the foot because um, they're both. I reckon they're both the same, as in performance wise. Yes. Um, generally, you're only doing you know half meter, one meter interconnects between your devices in the rack. Mm-hmm. So there's no point I feel for optical because optical's meant for long transmission runs, really. Yeah. Yeah. So coax should be the, should be the choice because it's easy to run. Mm. But then there comes the problem where you've got a custom install, you've got the Blu-ray player or the DVD player at the you know accessible at the front of the room, but you've got all the equipment at the back of the room in the rack, and you've mm. pre-run a cable. Yes, it's pretty hard to go and purchase economically a piece of fiber optic. It'll this run is, yeah. run fifteen meters, yeah, which is probably the right thing to use and the well, right the application. Cable would cost more than the player, but why have you got the player at the front of the room? So that you just can, for your short HDMI to the TV. No, no, no. So you can get to the player and put the disc in, but everything else is in a rack. Oh, in a rack, like hid, you're hidden in away a, in a in a yeah, okay, off in a room. Yeah, a so it's dust free, air conditioned environment. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so they've, I mean, they've both got good and, not good and bad, but um, the right and wrong applications f- for both of them. Look, it's got more to do with, um, you might run out of optical connectors on your receiver because generally you've got less optical than coaxial. Not I think always. it's the other way around. You well, I think it's become the other way around. Yeah, I take that back. You're right. Back that, in my day. <laughs> back in your day. Because that was the other problem that I was thinking is that um, there should be more coaxial connections, but they're more op- there's more optical on, well, particularly on the Yamaha. No, no, modern, well, modern equipment has optical. I mean, TVs now, you're scratching to have anything other than um, an optical an optical out. No analogue out, no coax out. Yep. And not a lot of TVs ever had coax out. I don't know why. There could be a good sound engineering reason for that, not just cost-saving. Um, well, that's I'm thinking it must be cost saving. Why would they all decide just to do optical out? Yeah. Well, what about set top boxes and PVR, DVR, DVDR, Blu-ray players? So many of them, particularly the less expensive ones, only have optical now. Yeah. I'm selling more optical cables now than I was twenty years ago. And you, <laughs> wow. And we're selling well more way more plasma TVs than we were thirty years ago. No, uh there was a bit of a thing with uh like I've been selling optical cable for a long time. Like C D players came out with optical outs on them back, you know, in the well when the, from day one. I don't know what we would have plugged them into because we didn't have digital amplifiers oh, until to, the nineties. To accept them. And that brings up another point that well, I'm gonna say a reason not to use an optical cable is there's two extra conversions in there. You're taking an electrical yep. signal, turning it to a light, yep. and then converting the light back into an electrical. Yep. Whereas if you use the coax, you've got a straight hmm. voltage from one to the other. Yeah, look, um, there was a time when audio files came into my store or ones that I spoke to, functions or whatever, I've gone through phases over the years. There was a time when it was definitely coax over optical. Optical was a joke. Then optical became the desired thing. And lately, I've had a couple of 
fairly fussy clients go, nah, there's nothing in it. So there's, there is consensus developing that there really, there's nothing really in it. Now, of course, <laughs> beats the crap out of me how there could have ever been anything in it unless you had a faulty lead. Yeah. So why, I mean, why are we talking about this? I don't know. Because you don't really have any control over it now. You're stuck with optical. Everything's optical. Yeah, true. Oh, I'm. I think they're both as good as each other. But it just it's funny how that we ended up with two technologies again doing the same thing, and some have, you know, well, optical really should be a long transmission scenario and or it, solution. My way of thinking, optical is the far more likely to be reliable method. If you've got a dodgy earth connection on your coax or your coax gets crushed or like you dramatically change the impedance characteristics of the connector somehow or the cable, there may well be reflection within the cable. There may well be issues. I don't think that can happen in the optical domain. No, no. That, that might open up something new that I just thought of then is are we? we you can obviously get more um, bandwidth down a piece of optical cable compared to a bit of coax. Presumably that's why the MBN's running it everywhere. Yeah. So are we going to see stuff in the future coming out of the back of your Blu-ray player? Mm. Or do we need that optical out in your Blu-ray player to get all that information from the player for your 3D and all that jazz? But it's all audio anyhow. So No, they've run out of bandwidth. That's why you've got to use HDMI HDMI. because you can't get um, 6.1 or 7.1 or 5.1 high-bit files down an optical cable runs out of bandwidth. Okay. That's why you got HDMI, Keith. You're the technician. I just plug it in. Yeah, but you can only get Dolby Digital or DTS out of optical. Out you can't optical. get Master HD and DTS super-duper sound definition <laughs> high something or other. Why do I get those two confused? HD Dolby HD Master... DTS, nah, Jesus. We're supposed to be professionals, and we don't even know what the bloody high-def sound formats are called. Yeah, DTS HD Master Audio. Yeah. Dolby HD. And Dol- the other one. Dolby True HD. True HD. Which yes. always makes me think of True Lies, that terrible film that I used to use for demo years ago. <laughs> Arnie. Arnie, yeah. Florida Keys, lots of explosions. Jeez, um, we just made fools of ourselves there. <laughs> yes, Drugs have really kicked in. Um, what the hell are we talking about? Oh, digital iPod docks. So yeah. you can get both coax and digital, coax and uh, optical digital out. Yes. Into your AV receiver, AV amplifier, or digital audio converter, outboard digital audio converter. And that way you're getting the best performance from your iPod iPod, to your sound sound equipment. Yes. Whether it's a home theatre or whether it's a hi-fi system with a DAC in it somewhere. And that particular dock, the ID200 from Cambridge, and we don't want to seem folks like we're going on about Cambridge, it's just that we've got, I don't know, a shop full of Cambridge to talk about, but it... uh, uh, it's nice, a nice heavy dock, and you can stick your iPad in it. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. When you stick your iPad in it, it says the video will be on your TV, so you've got to make sure your TV's plugged in. That's the only trap with it. 
is that if you want to charge your iPad and play movies at the same time, you can't unless you get TV connected to the dock. I believe, unless there's okay. a switch. I don't think there is. I think you're screwed. I think once it's docked, the iPad assumes that the videos are being played through the dock. If those particular pins are being used. Utilised, okay. Mm. Look, um, I think we're going to wrap things up for this segment, if you can call it that. Yeah. And the next couple of segments are going to be the Cambridge DAC. Oh, can I bring up one thing before we go? Yeah. Yeah. I'm scared. Well, no, it's not scary. It's 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 sort of a good question for you. My haircut. <laughs> You're not happy with it. <laughs> it's not video cast, so we don't have to worry about looks. What about uh, this shirt that I've been wearing for three days? Oh, I thought you just had multiple of that same shirt. No, no, no. Oh, okay. This is the same <laughs> shirt. Here we are, sitting in this tiny room. You thought the carpet was rotten, but oh no. Now, yeah, what, now that... you're going off. I was going to finish off on about these on the, the iPod docks. Mm. And as a relative new technology or the iPod being a relative new technology, particularly in the hi-fi world mm-hmm. um, as a source, is there any any point, and I'm going to say no straight off, <laughs> why, why would you stick an iPod into a valve amplifier? Because you are a cock. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> we'll leave it. Um, yeah, that is the answer. There's no benefit, is it? Oh, what the, well, there's nothing wrong with valve amps, but... Wrong application. Oh, see, I'm thinking you mean like there's a particular... Pro- there's a few valve... Buffered or whatever bloody iPod, standalone iPod docks out there, which are just joke products. Surely no one buys them. What, a valve-powered dock? Yeah, it's an iPod dock with a couple of tubes in it or something, <laughs> like as a preamp slash buffer type stage. You know, so it, it adds valve warmth and distortion to the sound, to what is already a terribly distorted <laughs> and compressed sound that's coming out of your MP3 file through your analogue out of your bloody iPod dock. Now, if you want to get proper sound out of an iPod, you use a digital dock. If you want to get, you then need to convert that back to analog. And then I don't see a problem with plugging that into analog pre and power. Okay, and that could be a valve. Because that's you're talking about plugging it in, plugging it into your existing stereo system that just happens to include a, a tube pre and power amp. Mm. Because if that works well in your room with your speakers and you're happy with that sound, there's no reason to plug an no reason not to plug an iPod into it. But an iPod dock that has tubes in it just seems bizarre because the last thing iPod sound as it normally exists needs is warming over it's already mushy and horrible because it's compressed and because it's coming out through a headphone socket with bugger all drive capability and it's uh, got a you know it's hanging off the back of a very mediocre DA converter built into the iPod yes it doesn't need any more mushiness (laughs) softening softening you know, warming up, uh, rose-coloured hues are not required and will only s- sort of make the situation worse. I, um, but I've heard, um, I've heard an iPod with lossless files through a digital dock into a name DAC, into my tube setup sound amazing. Okay, and we should clarify that too because 
we're not fans of iPods with compressed files on them, are we? Oh no, I don't think anyone is for for. for but but that brings. I thought we were to bring up the fact: why does anyone plug a bloody iPod into a dock? Oh, <laughs> I mean, what? Like. Uh, let me clarify, folks. What I'm getting at is people come in and talk to me and say, I'm going to go and buy an iPod because I want to play my computer music through my stereo. Yes. And I go, well, you don't want to buy an iPod then. Why do you want to do that? We just need a streaming client to pull the files directly off your computer and plug that straight into your stereo, i.e., if you want to do it on a budget, squeeze box, touch. You know, 250 bucks on eBay, whatever it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. And... and I mean, I'd suggest going and buying it at a bricks-and-mortar retailer, but I don't think bricks-and-mortar retailers sell iPod touches, do they? If they do, go and buy one. It's a great thing. No, Squeezebox, you mean, not iPod touch. Yeah, Squeezebox touched. What did I say the first time? Yeah, you said it right the first time. The I second, did. second okay. time you came back on yourself. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm busting for a coffee, another one. Um, so we're obviously recording in the morning. We're drinking, drinking coffee. coffee. <laughs> um. If you want to play music off your hard drive, off your computer, through your stereo, you can do the same thing that I said before. You go and buy a $7 lead and just plug it in. Yes. What are you going to buy an iPod for? Yeah, I know. It's just the portability. I mean, that's what you should treat it as, portability. But if you don't jog or you don't go on long trips on planes, if you don't need an iPod... But everyone that's into Apple, they're fitness freaks too, aren't they? You're starting to make sweeping generalisations, Keith, about the kind of people that buy computers that are made for simple folk. <laughs> simple folk. Oh, like, another sweeping generalisation. Going that far? Oh God, I've blown it now. Actually, I really like Apple computers, and of course, the first computer I ever had was an Apple Mac. But um, you brought that up last time. Yeah, well, I'm it's not going to bring it up again. Sentimental, isn't it? It is sentimental because it costs so much friggin' money. I could have bought like. Three broken down alphas for the price of one computer. <laughs> and had more fun. Whereas now you can only buy one broken down alpha for the price of a computer. So what does that mean? Computers have got cheaper or alphas got cheaper or dearer? They've got dearer. No. They're rarer. That, haven't, that hasn't happened. Computers <laughs> got cheaper. All right, we're off. Okay, so we've, we've voided it. We're back. We forgot the almighty trade secret. I don't know if we forgot it. I think we just left people hanging. Yeah, well, and now I'm, I will ask the dumb question. It's got the ASIO filter. Filter? ASIO circuit. Circuit. Are we, are we talking Australian security? Intelligency? Intelligency. Intelligency. <laughs> Organisation? Intelligency. Um... <laughs> The, the, no. No, we're not. We're talking about something else altogether. I think he's alluding to is the ASIO driver that you can stick in your uh, Windows platform oh, music playing so software. getting to. Uh, I'll come back to that. I want to talk about the filter shape. There's a filter button on the front of the Cambridge uh, DAC Magic Plus, which is what we're speaking of this evening. There's three Four filters, weeks. isn't there? Three, Lunch yes. Time. Yeah, three different filter shapes. It's got um, it's got a steep filter, which is a pretty traditional um, filter to put on a CD player or you know back of a DAC. Oh, okay. Um, so it's got that. 
It's a very steep filter which drops off at about 20k. Uh, at, at 22k, it's massively down, 80 dB down, something like that. I'm going to flip through the manual, which I happen to have in my hand here, because I want to remind myself of the other filter, the other filter um, shapes. There's the linear and the minimum. There is, and I'll tell you something about those, which I think is really interesting, that the roll-off at 22k is only negative 10 dB um, on the linear and the minimum phase, and, and of course in the steep phase, 82 dB down. Um, that's interesting because that's more along the lines of a couple of special filters that certain manufacturers of CD players have had in years past where they talked about the ability of humans to hear above 20K, which... Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Some people can. I, or they think they can. I'm having trouble hearing above 5K these days. No, that's not true. Well, actually, I've been checked for hearing for years. Last time I checked, it was about 13 14K. Um, that was before I came an al- uh, became an alcoholic, and uh, well, no, alcohol doesn't affect your hearing. Doesn't right? affect your hearing unless no, you pour be, it in the wrong hole. Be a, <laughs> <laughs> and that reminds me of um, someone was telling me something the other day of a guy that was walking around with a carrot up his nose, <laughs> a parsnip in his ear, yes, and a marrow up his bottom. He went to the doctor and said, what's wrong? And he said, you've got an eating disorder. It's not really that funny, is no. it? <laughs> was, was, that, was that the punchline? That's the joke for today. Okay. We'll get better. I'm sure we will. A bit like that other one. Yeah, where I was like naked in my hotel room and the maid came in. Are we? Are Finally. We... <laughs> uh, back to the DAC. Um... Oh, what's that talking about? Filters. The filters. Yeah, We've got filters. three filters. I see to select the filters, you press the filter phase button. It's a press and release button, so you must cycle through the filters um, with the three LEDs to determine which filter you're on. Oh, yeah, you just toggle through it and tell yep. you which one you're on. Look, folks, what you do there is you simply you, you listen to the one that you like the sound of, and it'll probably vary from material to material. Um, but that's the end of that. Uh, Merely pointing out that one is very steep and the other two are not, and that's interesting. And uh, one could guess and say that there might be a more, um, a very slightly airier sound on the two filters that don't have the significant cutoff. And there's also some phase related issues there that might, it's just going to sound a little mellower. Um, just a little nicer. Nice. Um, now, back to the ASIO driver. This is something that's not a subtle difference. The filter's you know, subtly different. An ASIO driver, folks, if you're plugging a PC into this via USB, you're going to want to make sure that you're feeding an uncorrupted data stream from your music playing program. And by uncorrupted, I mean it, uh, it outputs at the native uh, sampling frequency, which would be 44.1 if you've ripped a CD. Um, the Windows mixer will change all input audio to 48K. Now, that's not a big problem if the input audio is 48K sampling frequency already, but uh, if it's 44.1, it's a really ugly um, uh, re-sampling. Uh, and it doesn't fit, and it ends up sounding mushy and horrible. It, la- it lacks precision. It, it loses bass articulation. It just sounds mushy and horrible. 
So if you're feeding computer audio into this DAC or any other DAC, you need to try to bypass the Windows mixer. And the way you do that is use the ASIO driver. Now, there are a few really good players that have ASIO drivers readily available to oh, okay. select in their yes. output. Um, the one that I use and have used for many years is FUBAR 2000. It might just be called FUBAR these days. It came out about That's 2000. That's a great name. That is yeah, but it's not spelled F-U-B-A-R. It's spelled FOO, F-O-O-B-A-R. Yep. stands for something completely different. <laughs> because the it is not F'd up beyond all recognition. It is... Um, it's, I don't know why it's called FUBAR. I think it's just a play on the other FUBAR. Yeah. doesn't matter. Great player. Real simple sort of player, but very flexible as far as the way you can configure it and what you can do with it and customise it. So... Uh, it's not pretty to look at, but it works extremely well. I've been using it for, you know, I don't know, since it first came out, before it was called FUBAR 2000, put it that way. Um, use that, put an ASIO driver in it, and you're going to... And, and compare, the, compare the difference. The light yeah, should change the on way. the front of the uh, DAC from 44.1 to 48, and vice versa when you disable and enable the uh, ASIO driver in your music playback program. And that's how you'll know that you're getting an uncorrupted digital data stream. So that is the trade secret, and it's not really a trade secret, but it's something... But it's something w worth knowing. If you're listening to computer sound and you're wondering, you're saying, nah, it doesn't sound any good out of the computer, I've got to go and buy a bloody, uh, you know, whatever, because you might just be playing a CD in the computer and wondering why the sound is no good. No, no, you haven't good. even ripped it. True. It won't be any good if it's coming out of 48K, because Windows has messed it up. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not a secret, but it's something that you need to get right. Um, and one thing we haven't done... We really should test it. Listen to the thing. We're going to do that. Yep. But not today. Oh, we have a plan, a devious plan. What are we is, Well, I think we should compare it with something else. Well, a comparison, a, a shootout. A shootout. Okay. What are we going to compare it to? Well, in the room that we're sitting in right now, we also have the Riga DAC. Okay. A yep. fine-looking machine that is made in England and designed in England. We also have the name DAC, which is, uh, you know... A What's its name? The name has a name, okay. which is name. Name. Oh, okay. N-A-I-M. Okay. Don't worry, Keith. The folks that are listening are familiar with it. Oh. If they're not, name has been around since the 70s. Extremely high-end brand, making high-quality components from day one. Still made in Salisbury in England. It's all good stuff. And okay. they have a, a, well, that a sounds... reference quality DAC for $4,500. And we have the... Uh, and we've got one of those here to we've got, we've got, play with. Oh, we've got all sorts of toys here. Cool. We're loaded. Um, it's all the income from the podcast. Uh, the... Uh, I don't even know how... How do you get income from a podcast? I don't know. We're, don't just doing this, we're doing this for fun. <laughs> There's no other reason, is there? Um, but this is going to be a big learning curve for me, so um, I'd be interested to hear the difference between... Well, the three DACs, we've got a really high-class one, the name. Yep. Well, up-market one, I'd say. Well, one built to a quality rather than the price. Yep. We have the Riga in the middle, which... Uh, actually, we're looking at that, but that's not it. That's the Riga amplifier. The oh, Riga okay. DAC's actually uh, over there. Okay. Um, Just the same size it. box, though. Um, it so has yeah, a Riga DAC uh, 899. And it's going to be very interesting to uh, pull that apart and see how the... So, and you appears. confirm the Cambridge price again? Yes. Yeah, we were way you. off, weren't we? We were way off. <laughs> it's, it's actually uh, $12,000. Uh, 
Oh, no. No, no, no. no. It's $6.99. Now, it's $6.99. I mean, bloody, bloody good value. So it's six. It's it's a hundred dollars cheaper than we thought it was. It's a hundred dollars cheaper than I thought it was. Not only that, the Bluetooth adapter is one hundred and twenty. Yeah, one hundred twenty bucks. Twenty yeah. bucks? No, one hundred twenty. One hundred twenty dollars. So seven okay. ninety nine, you get the BT one hundred thrown in. Thrown in. Oh, we, that's what we were allowing for. That's oh yeah, we had it all. We didn't think. Yeah. It uh, stiff competition for the Riga. Uh, I have listened to them before, and I do like the Riga, but um, what I haven't done, and therefore I shouldn't even open my mouth, is I haven't compared the new Cambridge, which is the thing we are in fact reviewing today, against the Riga. I tell so, you what, first impressions for me though. Yeah, by looking at it. By just looking at it. <laughs> well, if you like if, knobs and dots. If you, you like, like knobs and lights, you've got to pick the Cambridge straight away, but yeah, yeah, yeah. if you want. I suppose we need it's gonna sonic be, performance. Yeah, I just I don't want to ramble too much, but if you, it's going to be very interesting to tear the Riga apart because, or Riga as a lot of people like to call it, I don't know what the correct, correct pronunciation is. I should ring Roy Gandy up, the Riga, Riga dude, dude, and ask him because um, people I know that have spoken to Roy all called it Riga, so why would they say Riga? And other people say Riga when the guy that started the company uses Riga. Riga. <laughs> maybe he doesn't, and maybe these people are just being polite because I say Riga. But then I knew about Riga when I was a small child and didn't even, you know, understand the concept of pronunciation. So it's Riga for me. But as I say, pulling it apart, it weighs it it weighs four times the amount that, that Cambridge does. But it has the mains power supply. Internal power yes, supply. Yes. Okay. Nonetheless, it must have a hefty toroidal transformer in there. So on that note, folks, we're going to wrap up. Yep. Uh, We've given away a bit too much already, I think. Well, we're going to listen to, in the next episode of the uh, the uh, Inside AV podcast, we're going to offer you some listening notes. Obviously, we can't allow you to hear them over the podcast, but we're going to sit down for half an hour or so, listen to a few pieces of music through both, maybe an hour, and draw some brief conclusions about what the two offer. Obviously, they're both going to sound good. We're going to tell you what the difference is compared with the reference, which is the name DAC. Yep. Which I think it is considered a reference. Okay. I'll be giving the uh, Bangers and Mash review. Mm Mm-hmm. You can go for the... Golden ear? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Are we a hi-fi podcast? information on audio video audio video we have our obvious area of expertise cut the language yeah okay quick introduction do an, do an intro andrew and keith inside av i'm keith